Welcome to my PhD, the newest show on the Hopkins Biotech Podcast Network. My PhD is a show by you, for you, where researchers at any level can tell us about the amazing science they are working on, and other interesting experiences while doing the PhD. If you are at Hopkins, look out in your email for a link to the Google form to sign up to record your own personal podcast. If you are not at Hopkins, we want to hear from you too. Find a link to sign up at our website, hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com or in the description of this episode. Today's episode is hosted by Jenna Glatzer, co-director, producer, and host of the Hopkins Biotech Podcast. We hope you enjoy it, and we are looking forward to hear from you. I'm your host, Jenna Glatzer, and I'm joined today by my guest, Joe Varielli. Joe is a fourth-year PhD candidate in the Department of Pharmacology and Molecular Sciences at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. His thesis project investigates the role of adaptive immunity in the context of a cure for HIV under the mentorship of doctors Robert and Janet Silicano. Joe is involved in a number of projects and groups outside of the lab, including Johns Hopkins Tech Ventures, Science in Action, and the Johns Hopkins Graduate Consulting Club. Listeners may also be familiar with Joe from this podcast, where he's a co-host and co-director. I'm super excited to learn more about his work in all of these fields. But first, Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. And I was wondering if we could start by you introducing us in your own words to your research and sort of how you came to Hopkins. Yeah, thanks, Jenna. It's nice to be on the other side of the table here. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, um, my work uh, under the supervision of uh, Robert and Janet Silicano uh, is really looking at the role of neutralizing antibodies in response to uh, HIV and, and the setting of HIV cure. So the lab in general is focused on finding a cure for HIV, and, and it's a really complex problem. And within that, uh, the lab has sought to really develop assays to help the field um, better understand how HIV persists in individuals long-term. Now, uh, many people, especially in first world countries might think, well, uh, HIV is less of a problem now because um, people who are living with HIV can take antiretroviral therapy and live uh, generally normal, healthy lives. But uh, HIV does persist in the body uh, for your entire lifetime. Uh, and especially in um, third world and developing countries, uh, HIV is, is still highly ep epidemic. So um, it's a huge problem and, and we're trying to tackle one aspect of it. So my work in particular is looking at uh, how neutralizing antibodies can target virus that's contained in what's called the latent reservoir. And the latent reservoir is really just the amalgamation of virus that uh, persists in a body uh, lifelong. Um, and in particular, it persists in uh, these special type of white blood cells called resting memory CD4 T cells. And so in general, these resting memory CD4 T cells are not very active. Um, but in a case where somebody maybe uh, forgets to take their medicine for a, a number of days or uh, for some reason they, they can't take their medicine, uh, the virus that's contained in those resting memory CD4 positive T cells uh, that exists just in the form of a gene segment um, that could be reactivated and the patients can experience viral load. Um, and eventually if untreated, they'll have CD4 T cell decline and they could progress to AIDS. So it's a really important uh, goal that we have um, to cure HIV. And, and again, we're just looking at 
one piece of that uh, HIV cure strategy. That's really, really interesting. So I know you were just talking about T cells, but obviously the other component of adaptive immunity are B cells and immunoglobulin production. Do all patients have the same capacity to produce neutralizing antibodies against HIV? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And um, all, uh, if not most patients do produce neutralizing antibodies against uh, what we would call their autologous virus. So the virus that exists in their own body. Um, but the interesting thing about HIV in particular is uh, how highly mutagenic it is. So HIV evolves rapidly to escape the neutralizing antibody response. And in turn, your body can produce neutralizing antibodies that are actually more capable of neutralizing the virus, but the process of escape usually wins out. So HIV eventually evolves to completely escape um, any neutralization. Now, uh, there are subsets of patients who uh, produce what are called broadly neutralizing antibodies. And so uh, a really interesting um, convention in the field is actually the ability to find these patients who produce broadly neutralizing antibodies, um, isolate them and make them as a monoclonal antibody to be used as therapy. Um, now, these patients who produce broadly neutralizing antibodies still are not able to control the HIV that's in their body, um, but it provides us a tool to be able to use uh, immunotherapy to try to help suppress a patient's viral load um, using these, these monoclonal broadly neutralizing antibodies. That's really cool. And are there other latent reservoirs for HIV other than you know, T cells or B cells? Yeah, so HIV in particular uh, infects CD4 positive T cells, and it uses the CD4 surface receptor um, in order to enter the cell. Now, um, CD4 can be expressed in low levels on other immune cell types, uh, such as macrophages. Um, so, so there are other reservoirs that exist um, in, in at least uh, macrophages that we know of. And there are also tissue reservoirs. So CD4 positive T cells can be found circulating in peripheral blood. And uh, the majority of the work that we do is it's studying the latent reservoir that's contained in peripheral blood. But CD4 positive T cells that uh, exist in lymph nodes or other tissues, such as um, the lymphoid tissue in your gut, say, uh, th those can also contain uh, these latent proviruses. So it really is a whole body issue. Uh, and again, our focus is on peripheral blood, but it it's important to take into account these, these other reservoirs, as you mentioned. That's that's really interesting. So I'm hoping now you can also talk a little bit about some of the non-lab work that you do. So and you're really integrated into the biotech community, not only here, but you know, in Baltimore locally, but also now getting involved too in other initiatives like for Hopkins. Um, so I know you're a part of two groups, the Johns Hopkins uh, Graduate Consulting Club, as well as working for Johns Hopkins Tech Ventures. And when we're talking about HIV too and your research, I notice how you have a tendency to explain the scope of the problem very beautifully too, and talk about what we can target, what we can't. And to me, that speaks of the language of how do you think about a technology that you might develop into a drug one day. So what can, yeah, what made you interested in going in the biotech route? And can you talk a little bit about some of your experiences here that you're doing at Hopkins? Yeah. So I think two things that I've really been interested in and, and kind of when I came to grad school, I um, 
I had worked in the biotech environment for a bit, uh, working for both the biotech company uh, and for the government doing uh, clinical translational research. Um, so two things that I was really interested in doing in grad school were doing really translational focused research, um, trying to do things that are going to impact individuals and, and all research does. But um, from the standpoint of, of more basic research, I was sort of um, looking for a, a patient outlet. And, and luckily what I've been able to do is work with patient samples um, and try to come up with uh, practical clinical strategies to, to help those patients. Um, and the other was a focus on biotech, as you mentioned. Um, so my involvement with the Hopkins Biotech Network early on um, and my involvement with the Johns Hopkins Graduate Consulting Club has given me uh, a, a broader perspective on the biotech industry as a whole. Um, I've always been an avid investor uh, as a hobby. And so I'm just really interested in new technologies. Things are on the cutting edge. Um, and and really interested in how we finance those technologies because um, it's a very complex process. So luckily we we found an outlet here, and I think the Hopkins environment in general is is really great for people who are interested in biotech and people who want to try to foster uh, those unique skills and interests. Yeah. And if that weren't enough, I know you're also a part of Science in Action. So you were one of the founding members for this, right? Yeah. So we founded it back in my first year in grad school in 2018. Um, and it was myself and, and three other uh, first year grad students. And um, uh, in particular, one grad student, Chad Hicks, I'll, I'll shout him out uh, from the BCMB program, um, had participated in a, a volunteer group uh, that was similar at Gonzaga, where he went and did his undergrad. And the goal of this was to provide a sort of consistent outlet for um, kids aged uh, third to fifth grade to have basically just fun um, doing interesting scientific activities. So things like, um, you know, making oobleck and isolating DNA from a strawberry, all, all of those sort of fun activities that we used to do when we were in elementary school, um, giving them that outlet and and not necessarily with the goal of having them come away and and learn something profound, but just to sort of engage them in science and, and get them interested in science and say, hey, you know, it's it's not it's not the boring textbooks um, th that you read. It's it's really something that's hands on and, and practical. Um, and, and so that's been a really great outlet. And we've been able to grow um, that group. And um, for me, volunteerism is, is super important. Um, and especially in my local community. So the ability to work with students um, in East Baltimore, no more than a half mile away from campus is, um, is incredible. Um, and so I, I think uh, hopefully the group will grow throughout my years in grad school and, and even beyond. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm confident that it's going to persist and will continue to contribute to the community and, and help those kids in that way. Yeah. Well, Joe, this was great. It was wonderful getting to hear. I know we do the podcast together, but it was wonderful getting to know more about your research and hear about your background and your passion projects here at Hopkins, like Science in Action and Tech Ventures. So thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Jen. I, I love talking about these things. And um, obviously, my passion for the podcast is, is showing. But um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to follow Hopkins Biotech Podcast on social media 
at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for updates about upcoming guests. And visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our mission and full catalog of episodes. Also check out the Google form at the link in the episode description to sign up for your own My PhD episode. I am Gustavo Carrizo. Thank you for listening. 